Well, man, there is something about that song that resonates with every heart to say, there's something in me that rebels. There's something in me that used to tell my parents, I know better than you. And my first boss, I knew when I was in my 30s, I could do it better than him. There's something in us that doesn't want to put ourselves under the leadership of someone, even though we know we need it. There's something in us that wants to resist the things that might even be good for us. So in our series training manual, we're looking at the different stages of development that we need to go through to deal with that brokenness in all of us that that need to progress at the same time that really struggle we have to do the right thing. To do that today, I'd like you to give a warm horizon welcome to my friend Dave Eberhardt. Can we invite Dave up? There's Dave and the team. Let's see. Oh, there we go. Here I am. Dave, Welcome. Thank you. Well, Dave, you're going to do this little demo on the training you went through with Aikido, but what, what got you involved in Aikido initially? Well, it, it might not be evident from looking at me now, but when I was a kid, I was the smallest one in my grade all the time, and there were always other Davids in my class. So not only was I little, but I didn't even have my own name. I had to share it with two or three other guys. So I wasn't David this one, I wasn't David that one, I was David the other one. So growing up small and insecure, I wanted to be strong, and martial arts looked like the thing to do to make me feel powerful. Uh, when I saw Aikido, that was it for me. I had to do it. I had to learn it. So I've been at it for about 27 years now. And you, uh, in a series, we're talking a lot about the role that our, our earthly fathers and ultimately our heavenly father have on developing us. How did Aikido be, become a connection between you and your father? Well, um, my father in general would give me good advice. But because I'm stubborn and a know-it-all, I would say, well, that idea is good, but Dad, you probably don't know how the world really works right now. (laughs) So I'm going to do things my way, and they're going to work out just fine. And, And this has been going on for my entire life, of me going back to my dad and saying, Dad, you know what? That thing, you were right. You were 100% right. I was wrong, and I have to start over from the beginning. And the same thing happened when I started doing martial arts training. I wanted to get ahead quickly, and I would take a lot of shortcuts and not really hit the details. Well, you can't fool Sensei. And so Sensei would see me taking shortcuts and go, no, 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 that's wrong, do it right. And I would have to go back to the beginning and go back to him and say, hey, you know what, Sensei, it does work better when I do it your way. What's an example of the shortcuts you took? Well, um, one of the things, and this will come into the story a little bit later, is uh, I injured my ankle uh, a while ago, and some of you might have seen me riding around on a scooter or wearing a boot until about a month ago, which is why I've got this brace on right now. So the hard thing for me is to get back up off the floor, so I'm going to bring somebody else out to kind of speed things up. So if you would welcome my friend Charlie Levine to the stage. Charlie, if you come on out. Charlie, welcome. All right. So Charlie and I have been training together for a long time. One of the things about Aikido is you have to learn how to fall and roll. You can't fudge this or it will hurt you, even with pads on the floor. So I'm going to demonstrate a big fall so you know how we train. So, Charlie, if I can borrow you just to, to spot me here. Do one more. <laughs> so, this is how we fall and this is how we train. You have to start small. So, I'm going to ask Charlie to kind of work us down through the process. Charlie, just do a big forward roll. It looks kind of like a somersault, but there's more to it. Now do a small one. Okay, now do a really small one like we do with a beginner on the first day of class. All right, a little less scary. So I ended up 
going way too fast and having to be pulled off the mat, set on the side, and going back to remedial rolling while my peers had gone on to doing more advanced stuff, and they were kind of laughing at me. So it was a little embarrassing, but again, I had to go back to the beginning. Now, I remember when we talked about this, you also talked about uh, how harmonized energy was a part of sort of a connection for you. What, what drew you to that and the idea that it's not just you know, equal size, but different sizes can even practice this? Sure. So um, since Charlie and I are about the same size, he's actually in a lot better shape than I am. I'm bigger and heavier than he is, but he's stronger and more fit. So if we just push on each other, it's going to be a contest to see if mass beats strength. But if I turn that and take him down, it goes pretty easily. And a lot of judo is like this. But what's even cooler is when a small person does it, because it works well with small people. So to do that, I'd like to bring out my friend Sean. Sean, would you come out and join us? Sean, welcome. This is Sean Dansby. Sean actually outranks both of us, and you can see that there's a significant size difference. Charlie, come over here with me, and we'll just do a, a quick round of Aikido uh, freestyle here. So, you ready? Ajme! That's, that's, that's probably enough for now. <laughs> Say thanks to them. Go ahead and have a seat. Now, part of that resistance of authority that you had growing up, you know, whether it was with your dad or others, um, how did that transfer over to even uh, spiritual connections of God as a heavenly father and those type of things? So part of it for me was a, uh, a feeling like I had to prove myself to measure up. Uh, I wanted to be strong enough or I wanted to... Um, be recognized for some kind of merit. And probably as a result of that, I tended to think of God as uh, maybe a big cop in the sky waiting to indict me. And what I found out through, um, <clears throat> through Aikido, my teachers aren't looking to beat me up and tell me what I did wrong. They're trying to train me and how to do things right. Well, that, that suddenly clicked for me and I understood that God is a father uh, and a teacher and he wants to train me in the right ways. Well, actually, can we thank these guys for the demonstration this morning? We appreciate it. Well, we're going to talk this morning about many of us as we face life, we're going to face falls, we're going to face difficulty, and understanding our development. Whatever chronological age we are, we may not have developmentally been training, and we not, may not be the same developmental age as we are chronological age, and God's going to try and train us in that. But before we do that, just the freedom to gather together to talk about spiritual things and to dig into the Bibles we're going to do in a few moments. I just want to remember that this is a, just a, a great weekend to remember those who fought before us. Both my grandfathers uh, fought in the war, uh, both in World War II. One was in the Army, one was in the Marines. So let's just pause for a moment and pray and thank for those who really did battle for each of us that we can have the kind of freedoms we have today before we continue. Father, we thank you. We thank you for folks like my grandpa. We thank you for people's mothers and grandmothers. We thank you for all those who've gone before us, who have fought, even given their lives, certainly given their freedom, certainly inconvenienced themselves for years or decades so that we could be here today to explore spiritual truths without the fear of people breaking in and, and pulling us off or throwing us in jail. We thank you for that freedom. In Jesus' name, amen. Well, I want to propose to you that each one of us needs a trainer. 
Each one of us needs somebody at whatever stage of life you're in. You're going to face circumstances where you're thinking to yourself, and you know what, I've never had kids before. I've never, maybe no stage, had stepkids before. I'm not really sure how to handle divorce. I've never been divorced before. I need a trail. I, I need a trainer to help me in this. How do I get through this without being bitter? I've never been retired before. What does retirement look like? We need a, not only a, a, a trail to follow, but we also need a trainer, someone who can help walk us through that process. In his book, Fathered by God, John Eldridge tells a story about going kayaking with humpback whales in Alaska, of all things. And as they were going together, they pulled alongside this island where the guide said, hey, come with me. I want to show you something. And they hiked about 20 minutes inland, and they came to a meadow where there are these gigantic, well-worn footprints. And he said, the grizzlies are asleep now, but they're going to be back tonight. And there were about two feet steps between these footprints. He said, for literally centuries... The mama and dad of bears have been walking on this path. This is the only way to get across the island. And the cubs follow in their footsteps. And John Eldred said that as a man, as an explorer, as an adventurer, it was being in this moment, he said, I could only describe that moment as holy and sacred. And honestly, a longing, he said, that I wish in life we had the same type of process that someone would help us show us the path for whatever season you're in. And we had someone to follow to help us get in those footprints. And we've been looking at David's life. We began last week by understanding the disconnect he had from his father. And we're going to move on to this next stage. Instead of fighting for a father, we're going to fight today for adventure and work. And what does that look like? Because all of us need a map And all of us need a mentor if we're going to be a giant killer. Now, many of you, like me, maybe you don't like directions. I don't want directions that brings out my fight against authority. Don't tell me exactly how to get there. I'll find my own path. I'm a maverick. Some of us hate psychology. So we resist all of that stuff. And yet, we get to places where insecurity comes up. We're not sure exactly what to do. And we wish somebody could help guide us or lead us. I was reading this book about six months ago as part of the preparation for the series. And I was struck by how honest he was about the moments of insecurity in his own life. He tells a story about trying to solder for the first time some plumbing in his house. And it brought back a memory for me of when I needed a map and I needed a mentor. I remember buying my first house. And I remember thinking to myself, I don't need a realtor. I'm not going to waste money on a realtor. I probably spent 30% more on that house than I should have, 30%. And I remember sitting in my crawl space because one of my pipes had broke. And I'm sitting down that crawl space, and this is before YouTube, so I was reading a book on how to solder. The water main in my house would not turn completely off. So there's a little bit of water coming through the pipe. I had flushed every toilet, turned on every faucet, re-diverting what little water was there. And I remember sitting under that crawl space feeling so inadequate. I can't even solder. I can't even fix this. I I called my dad. My dad, here's the irony. My grandparents owned a realty company that they started from scratch. (laughs) It became a competitor 
to um, Comey and, and Remax, and in our Tri-County area, Hoven Realty was a major, major company. My dad was a school teacher, and he built houses during the summer for them that they then sold. And I'm sitting in that crawl space trying to literally do one solder on one piece of pipe, and I cannot get the pipe hot enough because the water's moving through, just feeling like a failure. And I feel like if I just had somebody here with me who'd soldered before, I'd know what to do. If somebody could guide me, could map me, could help me, I'd be able to figure this thing out. And I want to propose to you that it doesn't matter what phase you're in in life, with kids, without kids, single, single again, facing retirement, facing a health crisis, there's that voice of insecurity that comes out. And you're thinking, I just wish I had somebody to help me, to show me the map on how to do this. So I want to show you how God did that in David's life. It's interesting how he did it because the reason we need a map and a mentor is because a map helps us answer two big questions that we all have. And these questions come up over and over again. They come up a lot in adolescence. They come a lot from the 18 to 21-year-old, but then they resurface many, many times after. And the questions are this. Number one, do I have what it takes to face this challenge? Do I have what it takes for this job, for this promotion, to have a region this big? Do I have what it takes to face this crisis, to go through chemo? And if I don't, the second question is, do I know what I need to have what it takes? Will someone show me the path? Will someone help guide me down this journey? Now, there are a lot of ways in which you can develop a map. I'm going to show you what God's map is, but... Some other ones that I have found helpful, Eric Erickson's uh, Psychosocial Development, if you've never been through that, it really gives a stage of different stages of development we all need. What's fascinating, if you remember this from college, is that it begins by saying the very first thing we all need to wrestle with is trust. If you don't early in your life learn how to trust, then you're going to build a foundation on mistrust. And you can chronologically begin older, but you don't trust people, therefore you don't trust God, therefore it's hard for you to go through the next stage, autonomy. Are you a real, you know, are you a person? Are you, are you filled with shame and guilt about who you are? As you continue to grow, understanding your role in the world, what makes you unique, you're always trying to be like somebody else or be what other people want you to be. As you continue to grow, there's industry, your ability to initiate versus living in guilt versus a sense of inferiority. A knowledge of how you uniquely have been wired and your unique place in the world. And then later in life, as you move toward retirement, well, before retirement, intimacy. If, if you don't know who you are, then you're not able to give to someone else because you date somebody so that you'll feel good about you. And that does not last very long in a marriage. That does not last very long in a date because eventually you feel somebody taking from you rather than giving to you. Then you move into retirement and instead of generativity, a sense that I want to give back to others and I want to teach people who teach people and create a legacy of giving of my resources, of my talents, of my wisdom, instead I fall into stagnation. Well, the best thing you got going on your whole life, you plan for retirement, you're now retired, and the best thing you're talking about at lunch is what you're going to have for dinner. Stagnation. Which leads not to an ending of your life of integrity, but despair. So this might be a map for you. And you might say, hey, I'm chronologically at the stagnation phase, but I really have never gone back and, and seen the map of trust. I didn't realize trust was such a huge issue. I'll give you one more map, a little simpler one that I found helpful. You may have seen the flow, the flow chart before. Yeah, the simple one will be here, actually. But it will be on the screen as well. The sense, and I think this really helps me understand what God does. 
that in life there's a challenge. We have a challenge meter. And we pray, God, make life easier, make life, make life easier. But ultimately, whether it's work, whether it's adventure, whether it's career, the older you are, the more you realize life is filled with increased challenge. And the more you're going to need the ability to learn new skills, incorporate hope into your life, courage into your life. And ultimately, where we, the best of us comes out is when we're in the flow. And the flow is that location where we're challenged enough we're not bored, but we're increasingly getting the abilities to know how to stay in the flow. Now, when you don't have enough challenge in your life, you've gotten so good at your job over the last 10 years, 20 years, that your abilities are high, the challenge is low. And that leads to to apathy, bored, leads to boredom, and ultimately leads to stagnation. Because you've got lots of skills, but not a lot of challenge. Other times in life, you've got a lot of challenge, but oh my goodness, you're worried, you're overwhelmed, and lots of anxiety. And the anxiety is because I got a huge challenge, but I don't know how to cope. I don't know how to integrate faith. I don't know how to handle this situation, this challenge. In one sense, I'm always praying, God, lower the challenge. And God is like, no, 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 I want to keep you in the flow. You're going to get bored and apathetic. So one map for us is, are you in the flow these days? Are you developing in such a way that you're apathetic and bored? Or you have taken on so much because that's the next step for your career path that you actually are not even enjoying life. You can't be the husband you want to be or the wife you want to be. You're so out of the flow because you took on challenges without the right season of life or ability to do it. Now let's move to David's life. So with those thoughts in mind, if you don't have a map, the voice of insecurity will begin to come at you from life. And it will come from without. David has just been sent with a packed lunch, and he is heading to his brothers to bring them some food as they're going to face to face with a Philistine enemy named Goliath. And the first thing this young man, David, faces as he's about to step into a new area of challenge is the voice of insecurity. Same one I heard underneath that crawl space, the same one you might hear at New Seasons of Life. He shows up to his brothers and says, hey, what's going on? And his brother, like all good older brothers do, says, what are you doing here? And then he minimizes everything his brother does, keeping sheep, and says, and who'd you leave that small, pathetic little sheep herd with anyway in the wilderness? You don't have what it takes, David. You don't have what it takes to be here. We're in the military. This is a man's place for men to hang out. You're a little boy. And David hears that none of the men there have gone against Goliath. And he says, I'll step up to the challenge. So he goes and talks to the king. And the same voice of insecurity comes from the king. This this cannot be encouraging. When the king of the nation looks at you and says, you don't have what it takes. You are not able, you, to go against him. The voice of insecurity. And when you don't have a map, that voice is going to come out. How do I overcome this? How do I know I have what it takes? How do I know how to incorporate faith and God's courage into these situations? In his book, Fathered by God, John Eldridge talks about how, how boys in particular need work and adventure, increased challenge in their life in order to learn these skills. He said, if you, and, and this is it's like the, the study on the need for moms and dads in marriage is so 
strong that men and women bring unique, unique strengths to their marriage. Mothers usually are incredibly protective of that mama bear and that mother leadership. But with that, often, you want to protect people from danger, right? You say things like, you're going to get hurt. Get down from there. Watch out for that. And this isn't true of all marriages. But in general, in the stats, men tend to be more toward the challenge side, more often than not. And women have a tendency to be more toward protective. But both of these characteristics are needed. In fact, in his book, Raising Boys, the author says that one of the challenges between, between uh, boys and moms is this dichotomy. Moms say, get down from there, you might get hurt. And a boy hears is, you're right, I might get hurt. But if I'm strong enough, and if I'm agile enough, and if I'm quick enough, and if I can overcome this enough, I won't be the one who does that. And what John, or- what, uh, John Eldridge mentions is that a boy who's always overprotected, overhovered, not given adventure and challenge, will have his heart wounded. That part of what he needs to develop will actually be minimized and, and, and unpracticed and unused. On the other side, if we don't have a mentor, a father, a mother in our life to help us walk through how to face those challenges, it's like kicking the kid into the deep end of the pool. We're out of the flow. We're overwhelmed. We, the voice of insecurity says, I tried that last time. I'm never going to do that again. So this unique role as mentors, a unique role as parents we play in trying to protect them so they don't get killed but also giving them increased amount of challenge because that's what God is going to use in their life to grow them. That's exactly what God does to grow David. It's exactly the kind of experience. In fact, as an American culture, you're going to look at what they did to David and you're going to be like, that's child abuse. Like, like in our culture today, we would call DCFS for this kind of thing. But notice how God's going to use that. He also mentions the story in the book of Teddy Roosevelt. Teddy Roosevelt grew up in the Northeast, and he just felt like he didn't have enough challenge. In fact, his mom uh, used to dress him up like a girl as a kid, and he did not think that that necessarily developed his manly soul, uh, go figure. So he actually headed out west where he bought a ranch, learned how to lasso horses, learned how to hang out with other men, and really have mentors to teach him what it was to be a man out in the rugged west. He then became a big game hunter. He wrote in his journal how these experiences as an adult man spoke to something undeveloped in him. Here's what he says. In hunting, the finding and killing of the game is after all but a part of the whole. The free, self-reliant, adventurous life, the, the wild surroundings, the grand scenery, all these unite to give the career of the wilderness hunter its, its particular charm. The chase is among the best of all national pastimes. It cultivates that vigorous manliness for the lack of which in a nation or as an individual the possession of no other quality can possibly atone. The hunter must, I love this, by custom and repeated exercise of self-mastery get his nerves thoroughly under control. The first two or three bucks I ever gave, I ever saw, gave me buck fever badly. But after I gained experience with ordinary game, I never had buck fever at all with dangerous game. In my case, the overcoming of buck fever was the result of a conscious effort and a deliberate determination to overcome it. And Teddy Roosevelt said, I needed adventure and work. I needed other men in my life to create a map to speak to my soul in something that was missing. I had to go back developmentally to trust, to my identity, to those things that Erickson talked about. 
Without a map, you're going to not only, though, hear the voice of insecurity from without, man, you've had this job, but let's see you can do, you know, a job that's really two full-time jobs. But there's also going to be the voice of insecurity that comes from within, where you say, I know I want to do this. I've spent the last 20 years building up to this. Now can I do this? Why is Iliab so angry, his older brother? I mean, just his younger brother David showing up at lunch, why is he so mad? His anger was aroused. How dare you leave the few sheep? What are you doing here? Because he knows as a soldier, he should have had the courage to step up to Goliath. He's taking his anger out on his brother, but he's really mad at himself. Because he, as a soldier, as one who is trained as a representative of Israel, he should be the one down there. And when you don't hear the voice of insecurity from life who's trying to kick you in the teeth, you'll hear it from the inside if you listen closely. I don't know if I have what it takes to handle this next season, this rebellion, this challenge in my life. And in the midst of these challenges, how is God going to speak? How is God going to work in the midst of that? When you hear the voice of insecurity and you say, I just need somebody spiritually to lead me, career-wise to lead me. I need someone to help me get from here to there. And I don't want to necessarily admit that I've got the voice of insecurity, so I need somebody to even teach me how to even be honest about that. My dad was a fly fisherman. I hated fishing. So I would go out fishing with him, and he's always frustrated I didn't want to learn fishing. I enjoyed spending time with my dad, but not fishing. But I loved hearing his stories. He was fly fishing one time, and uh, he's trying to catch his fish. He reaches back, throws it in, flicks it back, throws it forward, and you can see a fish getting closer. Throws it back again. He's just about to get it. Throws it forward. Now what he doesn't know is every time he flicks the line back, it's hitting the water behind him. There's another fish about to grab it on the back end. So my dad flicks the line back. It hits the surface of the water and this fish grabs it. My dad doesn't know it. He flicks his wrist forward. And he throws this fish, as he tells it, 50 yards. He said, said that fish skipped six, seven, maybe eight times before it finally sunk. In his book, Fathered by God, John Eldridge talks about how he got into fly fishing as a way to really speak to his manly soul, his masculine soul. He's fly fishing one day, and he's just not catching anything. And just feeling inadequate. I love this. I'm not good at this. Well, maybe it's a bad fish day, but he looks 50 yards down in the water, and there's another guy catching one after another fly fishing. <sighs> what is wrong with me? So as he's fishing, he's slowly moving toward this guy. And the guy notices and says, hey, do you want some help? And now he's got that, man, that, that guy voice, right? Do I ask for help? No, I don't want to ask for help, but I need some help. I need a map. I need a mentor. I don't want to admit I need help. He, he, he sort of swallows his pride and says, I'd love some help. He says, well, just so you know, I'm a fly fishing guide. I came to the right place. He says, you're not, flip, you're not flipping your wrist hard enough. Your leader's not quite the light line. He got everything, but he gave him a map on how to fly fish. He said he spent the rest of the afternoon catching one after another. But he had to first admit he needed help. He had to first admit, I need somebody with more experience than me in this stage, in this area, to help me in this. And that's the thing about without a map and a mentor... You're going to hear the voice of insecurity from without or within. And because you're not comfortable with it being in, you're going to cover it up with anger. You're going to cover it up with being a little more controlling or perfectionistic because you don't admit what is painfully obvious. You need a mentor. And that's when we move to the second place. A mentor, 
a spiritual mentor helps you answer those two questions. Do you have what it takes? And let me tell you how you would get to the place that you know how it takes. Somebody who's been through a divorce before who can help you know how to do it without bitterness. Somebody who's been around the corner of having kids who are about to launch and wrestle with the unique challenges of moving from from coach to consultant in their relationship. You need a mentor. And God is going to mentor David. In fact, he has. The fact that David's not insecure at all up against Goliath. God had a map and a mentor for David. So his voice of insecurity that would have been understood is a voice of confidence. David turns to the king and says, But! That's not true. I am able to handle it. Why? Let me tell you what God has done in my life. Your servant used to keep my father's sheep. I used to keep the sheep. And notice it was his father's sheep. Whatever challenge he had with his dad, which we mentioned last week, his dad gave him work and taught him to be a shepherd. Now, whether his dad did that directly or indirectly through the sheep herders that he hired, I don't know. But it is clear that somebody has been working with David for years as a mentor. Teaching him, how do you protect flock? How do you keep them together? Teaching him, hey, there's going to be dangers out there when you're keeping the sheep. I've got to teach you how to use a sling and how to pick up a rock. And there's going to be a lot of downtime when you're a shepherd. A lot of downtime. And the only thing you have access to is rocks. So learn, practice, discipline yourself to throw, to throw, to throw. Increased amount of responsibility, increased amount of work to the point at which he actually says that I actually had some experiences in my life that prepared me for this moment. That's why I'm so confident. This isn't the first time I've done something like this. And that's the second thing. God not only offers him a map and a mentor, but God uses work and adventure. Look at the adventure. And this is where you're going to think we dial uh, DCFS uh, or 411 kids here in our culture. Part of his mentoring as a man was that he was keeping the sheep, the same thing his brother was minimizing, and he had to fight against and protect his father's sheep against lions and bears. Oh my. And you'd be like, no, no, protect, 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 protect. And again, certainly we don't want our kids in danger, but sometimes we're so overprotective, we don't teach them how to take on challenges. He says, I remember the time the lion came in. And because my dad or one of the shepherds had taught me how to use a sling, that lion came in and I killed that lion. I had another time, I remember a bear showed up, tried to take dad's flock. And I took down that bear. And because of the success I saw in the small elements of challenge in my life, like a lion and a bear small, for him apparently was. I grew in my ability to trust God. I drew in my skills of knowing how to use the sling, and that has prepared me for this moment. All I got now is a taller bear. That's what Goliath is. He's just a taller bear. He's a bigger target. This is actually a step down, not up. He's a bigger lion. And I want to, as you look at the challenges you've been through, and you've thought, maybe God's abandoned me, maybe God didn't care. I want you to begin to just entertain the idea that God has been mentoring you through life by giving you challenges so that he would prepare you for the big one before you now, or the one to come. Not because he hates you, not because he's mad at you, not because he's disappointed in you. He loves you so much, he wants you to know life gets harder and harder. I'm trying to build the abilities you need as the challenges are coming to keep you in the flow. That's why so many movies are about mentoring, aren't they? 
was Luke and Obi-Wan, or now Ray and Luke. Men and women need somebody to map them and mentor them. The man from Snowy River, I remember watching that as a kid. An opening scene, the young man loses his dad, has to go through grief. And right as you're like, come on, this is how you're starting the movie? It gets worse. All the men from the mountain show up. It's in, I think, Australia. And they're like, you've got to earn the right to come up here and live on the mountain. You're a boy now, but only men live on the mountain. And the whole movie is about the mentorship process of him becoming more than he is. Learning for grief, becoming a man, taking on responsibilities. Or about that scene from The Godfather. What am I going to do? He didn't give me the part. He didn't give me the part. The movie starts next week. And he's like, I'll tell you what you do. You act like a man. You act like a man. And a man who's not home with his family isn't a man at all. So go home and be with your family. And, and then in about a month, they're going to they're gonna offer you a job. But, but it starts in two weeks. I'm going to make him an offer. You can't refuse. That's that scene. Oh, how about Rocky Balboa? Here is an older man speaking to his 20-something son and saying, I want to give you a map for this season of life. And I want to be your mentor and tell you what you're going to need to be successful. In one of my favorite speeches. Let's watch. You ain't going to believe this. But you used to fit right here. I'd hold you up to say to your mother, this kid's going to be the best kid in the world. This kid's going to be somebody better than anybody ever knew. And you grew up good and wonderful. It was great just watching every day. It was like a privilege. Then the time come for you to be your own man and take on the world, and you did. But somewhere along the line, you changed. You stopped being you. You let people stick a finger in your face and tell you you're no good. And when things got hard, you started looking for something to blame, like a big shadow. Let me tell you something you already know. The world ain't all sunshine and rainbows. It's a very mean and nasty place, and I don't care how tough you are, it will beat you to your knees and keep you there permanently if you let it. You, me, or nobody is going to hit as hard as life. But it ain't about how hard you hit. It's about how hard you can get hit and keep moving forward. How much you can take and keep moving forward. That's how winning is done. Now, if you know what you're worth, now go out and get what you're worth. But you got to be willing to take the hits and not pointing fingers saying you ain't where you want to be because of him or her or anybody. Cowards do that and that ain't you. You're better than that. I'm always going to love you no matter what. No matter what happens. You're my son. You're my blood. You're the best thing in my life. But until you start believing in yourself, you ain't going to have a life. Don't forget to visit your mother. What I love in that scene is the combination of truth-telling and grace. He extends love. I, I love you. I believe in you. And yet, i got to tell you, you got to step it up. And that's why we need a mentor. A book doesn't do this. You need somebody you know that you trust who can tell you to step it up to let go of some bitterness, to step it up with some responsibilities, to step it up spiritually. You're never going to find some of the greatest things in life 
if somebody doesn't challenge you toward them. Somebody who speaks into your life about idiosyncrasies or weaknesses or just real failures you have as a parent, as a spouse. Hey, I heard you talk to your wife the other day. Did you realize you came across this way? And the Bible actually says that, <clears throat> that men get so defensive, it's part of our problems around women, we need older men who will challenge us to become everything we need to be. And the Bible actually endorses older women who can come along women who have a tendency to get uh, defensive about men who are like, oh, they're so insensitive, they don't understand. We need older women who can mentor us and teach us and help us. That's sort of how God set this up. That's why we have women's groups and men's groups and small groups is because we're trying to follow that model that we need people who know where we're at and can challenge us to the next level. Because that's what God does even David. He parents him into the flow. He used a little bit of sheep, a lion. He then upgrades it to a bear. And now, Goliath. Meanwhile, he has learned how to trust in God, face his fear, overcome being alone out in the wilderness, know how to use that sling. He is in the flow. And this is a new, Goliath is a new challenge, and it's challenging him to even more increase his ability. In fact, I get a chance to go to that valley where David actually fought Goliath. And there's a small riverbed there. I got to pull a rock out of the same creek David did. I got it in my house. If you read the text, you'll see that he picks up five rocks that day. There's another passage in the Bible that shows that Goliath had four brothers. There were five giants in Gath. It's not that David thought he was going to miss. It might be that David thought he was going to take on the four brothers as well. Better grab four more in case the brothers show up. And David took down a giant because he began to see his life as God keeping him in the flow. And I would tell you, whatever stage of life you're at, you're either up here in worried anxiety because you haven't learned the spiritual abilities you need to incorporate courage and hope and faith in God, or you've so got your career goals down that there's no real challenge. You've never been challenged to give significant amounts of your money that changes your choices, to serve in radical ways. It says, I got all this free time now. What do I do to radically use this to invest in other people? You've not increased the challenge. And God is not going to keep you in boredom land or in anxiety land. He's going to challenge you to keep you in the flow where you're growing and you're maturing. My daughter just turned 20, about turned 21. My son's 18. And about five years ago, I read a study that said most teenagers have never seen God do anything. They can't point to one significant moment in their life that they say God did something miraculous or even significant. So we start a practice at our, at our home called the red plate. We have a big red plate. And every time we're praying about something, God answers a prayer. We, we pass around the red plate and we celebrate. We did that. With, my wife and I just celebrated 24 years of marriage. That was a good miracle right there. It was God. First jobs. Prayers for, for first endeavors. And so if you look at our, our plate, we actually had to move to a second plate this year because we want a tangible example where our kids could say, I've heard about, talked about, and seen God at work. A couple of years ago, I really realized my son needed some adventure if he was going to make his faith real. Just going to Bible study, just hearing about the Bible wasn't enough. He needed to have some experience. So I sent he and my daughter on a 125-mile hike in Israel for 10 days. And even I was like, oh, is he going to remember his anything? Is he going to get lost? It's a big airport. But how significant that was in Javen's life and Sierra's as well 
to be where Jesus was, to be in that same creek where David was, to pick up those rocks like he did, to see that valley where Goliath stood. Are you creating experiences for employees to keep them in the flow? Because this is how you lose employees, not enough challenge or not enough abilities. Are you doing this with your kids? Are you doing this career-wise, but are you doing this spiritually? When's the last time you challenged yourself spiritually? When's the last time you really integrated and got around somebody to help you know even how to find meaning and purpose in life? I was reading an interview with the CEO of PepsiCo. She talked about common practice in PepsiCo is that very thing, is that they're always trying to take new presidents, and it's not a guarantee that you're the heir apparent. They just want to give you a chance to increase and stretch your skills, she said, to the next level. Are you ready for this? We need to keep our people challenged. She said it's our, our ongoing strategy. We find new ways that support our strategies for growth. It's, it's elevating people to new areas of challenge. But the most incredible story she tells is when she was set as the chairman of the board. <clears throat> she had just been announced as the chairman of the board for PepsiCo. She came home that day. She always got home very, very late because of her career. So it's about 10 p.m. and she walks in the door. She steps in the door and her mom was staying there that day. And as she walks in the door, she says, I got great news. And she's about to tell him she's the new chairman of the board for PepsiCo. I got great news to tell you, mom. And her mom says, we need some milk. Can you go to the store? It's 10 p.m. Well, I'm sorry, we need some milk. Well, hasn't my husband home a couple hours? He's tired. He already went to bed. We got people, the help that we pay around here. I forgot. We need some milk before tomorrow morning. So she is mad. She tells the story. She's fuming mad. She goes to get some milk at 10 p.m., grab some milk on the chairman of the board of PepsiCo. She comes back in, here's your milk. Can you share some good news? Good news is I got announced today as a chairman of the board for PepsiCo. And in a way that only a mom can mentor a daughter, probably wouldn't have heard this from anybody else, her mom said, when you step through these doors, your family doesn't care what titles you have. They don't care what big award you've been given. When you step in this door, you're a mom, you're a daughter, you're a daughter-in-law, And your leadership starts when you walk in the door in a whole new way. And then she said, this is her quote, so you can leave your damn damn crown in the garage because I've never seen it anyway. (laughs) And Indra, I'd be defensive, I'd be angry. Indra so trusted her mom. She said these last many years of her career have been shaped by that conversation. By saying, I've got to realize that I love work, I love increased everything but when I step in the door I need to prioritize what it means to be a marriage and a mom she began to put systems in place to make sure she could be great at work and great at home how about you are you fighting are you fighting to grow yourself are you fighting for those who you mentor in business those you mentor in life those that you mentor uh, your own kids are you fighting to keep them in the flow Look at that Eric Erickson model again. Is there some specific stage that you need to go revisit? Do you have trouble trusting people? And maybe that's why you have trouble trusting God? Is it time to, all the years and all the time you spent building a career, is it time to go back and build a life? 
and to build a marriage and to re-engage as a dad. I don't care what map you use. Fathered by God has a great map. The flow is a great sort of general concept. But fight. You're going to have to fight for this. The, The flow toward apathy and the flow toward boredom and the flow toward stagnation is so strong that if you don't fight to grow and fight to stay in the flow, you're going to miss out on the best of life. And you're going to miss out what David found. Because David shows up and the king says, All right, I'll let you do it. Go ahead and put on my armor. And grab my shield. And David's like, That's not me. I'm not a hand-to-hand guy. In fact, if you're fighting Goliath, you don't fight that close anyway. You take your shield. I'm not trying to be the king. I don't need to be somebody else. I need to be me. That guy knew who he was. And I'm going to take my sling and my five rocks and I'm going to go out there from a distance from that big target... But here, look what he says. But ultimately, it's not about me anyway. The battle is the Lord's. He had developed a faith that whatever came his way, and Goliath will be one piece of many to come. In fact, his father-in-law will be his biggest challenge for the next two chapters of the Bible, next two books of the Bible. But he had a deep understanding of what it means to trust in God as he faced life. And that's what we all need. We need a mentor, and we need a map. We need a trail, and we need a trainer. And there's one song Beth used to love, listen to Simon and Garfunkel when we were in college. And I love this song, The Boxer, because it really tells the story of how a young man develops into a champion. Let's listen. And I love that idea that what started off as a boy became a boxer because of training. I know many of you are in seasons of life where you just feel like you're in the boxing ring and you're being punched and you've been praying, God, please let me out of the ring. And instead, he's trying to teach us how to take a punch. As I mentioned last couple weeks, it's been a very challenging last 60 days where I feel like I am trying to get out of the ring. And God has said, I'm trying to develop you, Chad, You get bored too easily. Time for some more challenge. And I keep praying this prayer. God, lower your standards on me. (laughs) So I want to pray for each one of us here as we leave today. Father, there's many here that if they were honest and had a safe place, they would admit the voice of insecurity, the fear of facing a relational crisis, a health challenge. Something that is not as good in real life as it looks from a distance. Father, will you draw near to each person? Will you remind them you're here to help? You're an ever-ready help in tight places. That you want to teach them how to be strong and courageous. How to be strong and very courageous for you are with them and you will not leave them and you will not forsake them. But they can meditate and think about your words day and night and learn how to think your thoughts after you to become the very best version of themselves. God, we admit we need your forgiveness, but we also need your strength and leadership. In Jesus' name, amen.
Before you go today, I have one quick announcement. And one of the ways that we have made this a priority in our church for the last six years has been a three-year journey that we offer for men in our men's ministry. We have also a women's group all the time, just trying to get other women around to develop spiritually. One of the men who's cheerleaded our men's ministry has been Doug Daly. Doug has done, taken, I don't know, 200 plus men through a men's journey over the last six years. Doug has been involved in marriage studies and parenting studies. And obviously he speaks here um, you know, once every six weeks or so. Well, Doug came to us about a year ago and said he was ready to retire. And he wanted to retire at the end of this June. And he has been such an impact for me. He's been such a friend to me. He's been such a great teammate to us. Doug loves it when we bring attention to him. But I wanted to let you know that he will be retiring and moving back to uh, Arkansas to be with the rest of his family and extended family come the end of the month if you want to take him to lunch. But I thought we should give him a, a, a strong thank you and Horizon uh, appreciation for all the work he's done over the last six and a half years. Thank you, Doug, for all your work. We appreciate it. So one of, uh, one of Doug's passion is actually this particular series and this topic, um, but he's had a, a, a variety of challenges uh, with his knee and other things going on. So he will be speaking at the end of the series, the last week of the series on his last day. That's June 24th. We're also going to have light hors d'oeuvres and appetizers uh, for him Sunday, June 24th from 3.30 to 5.30 here is our way of saying thanks. So thank you, Doug, for all your work. Thank you, each one, for being here today. We'll continue our series next week with the third stage and the third fight for development. Thanks for being here.